great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more, spend less, and avoid getting ripped off. You know, you don't want to get ripped off by me. You know what a ripoff from me is? That's when you depend on me to give you good advice and I don't deliver. It's really key and it's core to what I'm about that I give you information that empowers you in your life, that gives you more control. And I want to give you precise answers that you can put to work. So if I don't do that, I got to have you let me know. And that's why we have Clark Stinks. It's at Clark.com. You go to the message board, Clark Stinks, and you post when you feel I've given an incomplete answer, a poor answer, bad advice, bad information, or you think I'm just plain wrong. And you post how you feel. Others can read it. They can post their comments. And then once a week, producer Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares highlights with you here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, Krista, I expect you to top last week, which was a very entertaining Clark Stinks last week. You're setting week. me up. It's not I me, it's the people. No, it's good, to, it's good to put pressure on you. Okay. Clark may not be aware of this, so this may not be a stinker. I have a five-year-old Chromebook that I was just notified will no longer receive updates. I was offered a new Chromebook. I discovered Chromebooks time out after five to six years. I don't believe this country needs more e-waste. Also, the expense of buying a new computer every five years. Meanwhile, my 12-year-old gateway keeps going with Windows 10 that Microsoft gave me. No more Chromebooks for me. I was not aware that Chromebooks were timing out. I'm going to have to read up on that because that's not something that's on my radar that that is a problem and has happened. So I'll check that out. And if it's something I need to mention next time I talk about Chromebooks, I will do so. But I'll tell you, the only thing I use is a Chromebook. I don't have a Windows computer. I don't have a Microsoft computer. Everything I run runs on a Chromebook. Clark, you may not stink, but you're getting forgetful. You had a caller to your show talking about how he got remanufactured ink refills but could not use them because the print printer would not support them and he only wanted the, and only wanted the brand from their company. He never said anything about how to get around this so people could save money. Well, here are two places. I know that you can get the firmware to get around it, and here they are. And it's inkjet411.com and then friesinkrefill.com, the store fries. So You guy are slipping. That's the last yeah, time. it's true. It's true. I am slipping. No, so the ink refill cartridge thing with the DRM, digital rights management, at uh, Hewlett-Packard, it's a constant back and forth with Hewlett-Packard trying to get you to let them rip you off on the ink. And then the remanufacturers always trying to come up with ways to get around the DRM. And so what this post is about is about making sure you buy from a source that can defeat the Hewlett-Packard DRM and get much more affordable ink. I prefer that next time you buy a printer, buy one of the printers that I've got for you on Clark.com that don't rip you off on ink at all. 
And we don't sell them at Clark.com, but no, we no, talk it's about just them. <laughs> so you know about. It yeah. used to be just Epson's, but now there's Brother, and I'm trying to think what the third brand is. I've got that yeah. sells the printer at a real price and sells the ink at a reasonable price. Clark, I've heard you mention several times the pitfalls of building a stick-built home versus buying one already built. I tend to agree with you, but you always neglect to mention another option, and that stinks: modular homes. These are not manufactured or mobile homes, and they are as well-built, if not better, as stick-built homes. They also have many advantages to stick-built construction, including the build time is considerably less, estimated costs are usually much closer to actual costs, and they're constructed indoors in a factory and not subject to to the weather during the construction. And number four, they're generally tighter and more efficient. Finally, they're generally less expensive to build, but they can be customized and rack up considerable costs, just like any new construction. Chris from South Texas. Chris, I am 100% with you on this, and we are one of the few developed countries in the world that has not heavily moved to homes that are built in pods that are then taken to the build site. Now, in commercial construction, we in the United States are moving steadily that direction, and a lot of apartment complexes now are being built the way you describe. The uh, time needed to construct is greatly reduced. The cost is reduced usually about 20%, and the quality of construction when uh, homes or apartments or office buildings are built, uh, I forgot, hotels, built in modular units taken to the site that the homes tend to be built a lot better because they're being built away from the elements and they're being built in a certain routinized way on an assembly line. Hey Clark, I have come to the conclusion that the trucking industry topics might be one of those subjects you'd rather not broach unless you're trying to prove the age-old maxim, everyone has a right to be wrong. In this case, you are not wrong as much as you are hypocritical. During one of your monologues you were last March, you were gleefully extolling the technological improvements and automation coming to the trucking industry, with the end game being fully autonomous big rigs. I, I, being a proud Luddite, wrote in and chastised you for thinking that drones can or should replace an experienced professional trucker. You dismissed my concerns with an accurate but dissimilar anecdote about how TV stations are staffed with skeleton crews when there used to be scores. The same technology that you were praising only months ago is precisely what large truckload carriers are relying upon as they strive to hire inexperienced, cheap, and unqualified drivers to keep from having to do the unthinkable, pay wages consistent with supply and demand. As for being relegated to the far right lane to lumber along, we do that already. They're called freight trains. (laughs) Clark, speed limits are and should be set using the 85th percent percentile rule and to minimize the differentiation between average speeds of vehicles. Your chances of an incursion rise significantly when you're passing. An inconvenience for the guy whisking about in his Model S, I'm sure. The solution? (laughs) Stop buying stuff. Mike in Wisconsin with 2.5 million accident-free miles. Mike, that is fantastic. Two and a half million miles without any accidents at all? That is unreal. But Mike, I'll tell you, you are on the road all the time and you see how many people in passenger vehicles and trucks shouldn't be on those roads driving. And you are a very dedicated individual, experienced one. You're very careful. And 
obviously with two and a half million accident-free miles. But the reality is the danger from the weight and size of trucks on the road and the speed involved is why I believe in adopting the system used in so many other places in the world of highly restricted speeds on trucks and drivers being paid per hour they work rather than being paid for quick delivery, that we've created unsafe conditions where drivers are pushed to go too fast and create dangerous situations. And I know most of the problems on the road are caused by people in passenger cars, not truckers. I accept that. Automation, I believe, though, will save a lot of lives. Clark, you don't stink, but you missed giving a caller who was unhappy with Amazon a possible shipping option. Each of the three big shippers, UPS, USPS, and FedEx, have options to hold items at the local delivery point. Amazon always gives tracking numbers. With that in hand, you can go online and either delay, divert, or hold. If you have your address registered with UPS, for example, you can even do so through their app. Just something to think about. Love your show. David in Union, Kentucky. David, thank you. And this is a service we avail ourselves of constantly with all package deliveries is where we divert them to either a FedEx, what they call them, FedEx office locations or Mm -hmm. a UPS store. And there are certain circumstances with UPS where they will charge you $5 for a diversion. But if you do it right, it'll cost you nothing. And then you don't have to worry about being there to sign for anything. Don't have to worry about something being stolen. And you can just go pick it up at a staffed location. And most of them are pretty convenient to us. In response to an Ask Clark, you said that cell phone monitoring apps were pretty involved and didn't come cheap. Well, Clark, I've got some Febreze for you. Google, Apple, and Amazon all have their own built-in parental control systems for their respective devices. The latter two are are isolated controls on the device itself, iPhone, Kindle, etc. But Google actually has an app called Family Link that allows you to remotely control your child's Android device, whether it be a phone, tablet, or Chromebook, from your Android or iOS phone. Controls include limiting which apps are installed, which websites are visited, and even which hours of the day their device is used and for how long. GPS location tracking is also an option. Oh yeah, and it's all free. Hope this info gets out to your listeners since there's absolutely no need for anyone to be paying for these now basic controls. Respectfully, Kevin. Kevin, thank you very much. That's very useful information. And I appreciate you bringing that to me. And uh, I wonder which one of those I'll use for my son. I'll need to use all three. (laughs) I mean, for me, uh, there's one child where I'd rather really see everything they're writing and stuff. So I don't know if that would work, but I will look into it. Um, (laughs) Clark has it wrong about tariffs against China. He makes it sound like they are as efficient at producing the goods. Their labor practices are terrible. The iPhone factory has a high suicide rate. China is one of the most polluted countries on earth. It is a communist country. It steals intellectual property. Everything you said is true. It's just I am an ardent free trader, and the Chinese economy does have some built-in inefficiencies in it that have hurt some of its competitiveness, but trade barriers between countries and trade wars ultimately lead to real heartache for everyone, and often trade wars lead to real war or significant economic decline. So I am 
I am who I am. I am such a longtime believer and through and through in the free movement of goods in the world. And I, I had a big sigh of relief when the Canadians, Mexicans, and U.S. reached a new deal on the uh, version 2.0 of NAFTA that's going to have some kind of weird name now. But the fact that free trade ultimately leads to more wealth and security in the world is something that I hold dear. I appreciate all your posts. Look forward to what you have to say. And when there's something that I've said that you feel has missed the mark, please let me know by going to Clark.com, go to Clark Stinks, and post away. Steve is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Steve. Hello. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Steve. I understand you're yet another person who wants to take exception with me picking on Missouri. I think you were misinformed is what I think. Well, let's Um, set a little background first so people who didn't hear me before will know what we're talking about. I got really upset when Missouri passed a law that makes it a crime to refer to things uh, by words that might have meat into them. And the only exception is if something came directly from animal flesh, it can be called meat. That is pretty much right, but I guess as a livestock producer in Missouri, I don't want laboratory-grown meat, meat that's grown in a petri dish, for lack of a better term, to be called meat. To me, that's not a real meat product. That's a science fair project. So, (laughs) okay, so I got to tell you a funny thing with this. A friend of ours was at a lab in California where she had lab-grown chicken that was genetically identical to chicken. And she said it not only did it, you know, the food in front of her look like chicken, it tasted completely like chicken, and it was genetically the same as chicken. And that whole concept is weird as could be. And if you take the Missouri thing to its full extension, that would not be able to be called chicken. So I don't know what you'd call it. It has to be, according to the law, and I could give you some information on where to get more specific, but according to the law, it ha- on a case like that, it would have to stay in the label, on the label, in the name of the product, laboratory-grown chicken they can still call it chicken i think but it would have to say laboratory grown to where it's not being confused with meat that was raised on a farm now under the under the missouri law though you can't even use the word meat so let's say somebody lab grows and it's completely genetically beef like from a cow meat from a cow you wouldn't be able to call it meat at all it would uh, i don't know what you'd call it you'd call it lab grown non-meat meat <laughs> i mean i don't know i mean what would you well, call it and that's the idea the livestock producers in missouri and uh, and other people are pretty much who back this law being passed and it's it's being worked on at the national level too something similar to it so that laboratory grown product is not called meat because the definition of meat, and this goes back to a 1985 law, that meat, in Missouri at least, 
meat has to be meat is defined as an animal product. And, and so if it's lab grown, even if it's genetically the same, lab grown, it will have to say laboratory grown or laboratory produced or whatever. So how long have you uh, been in the cattle business? All my life. I'm a little bit older than you, I think. Could you have ever yeah. imagined we'd even be having this conversation? Not really. Yeah, you know? yeah I, I <laughs> could Other than I watched the Jetsons, I think, or maybe it was Star Trek, you know, and you push a button and... Yeah, that was the Jetsons. You'd push yeah. the button and the thing would make noises and it was almost like this microwave thing. A conveyor would open, a door would open and conveyor. Your food would come out. I appreciate you calling and Steve, I appreciate your perspective. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can keep more of what you make. So... People's expectations when they're away from home are all over the board now. We went through decades where hotels and hotel rooms were derisively referred to by some as cookie cutter and by others as something they really love, no surprises. Entire hotel chains were born more than a generation ago all about sameness. And Courtyard by Marriott was the one that really kicked this off in the 1980s, I think it was. In a courtyard room, the design of a courtyard by Marriott was identical place to place. There actually was a central courtyard. Every room you stayed in had the same print. No matter where in the United States you were staying in that courtyard, it was the same. And that's what people wanted. They wanted to know that things were going to be routine and uniform and that the hotel would be just as comfortable and just as clean in one city as it would be any other. And you would be comfortable knowing the experience you would have before you ever walked in the door. That was then, this is now, and there's a big revolt against the uniformity of hotel chains. And now people are looking for experiences. And the, the reality is this has really been popularized because of Airbnb. That Airbnb taught people there could be a different way. And I have traveled in so many different Airbnbs around the world, VRBOs, uh, you know, and I've stayed in all these, and there are certain circumstances where it's been great having that versus a traditional hotel. So now the hotel industry is like, wait, 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 what about us? And one of the things that's happening now is hotels are responding to the fact there are people who want a more affordable because there are people who go in an Airbnb because they want it to be cute or different or whatever and not cookie cutter. But a lot of people go to Airbnb because they want it to be cheaper. So the hotel business is putting up more and more properties that have smaller rooms that they're able to sell at a cheaper price. 
And I've mentioned a couple of the chains in the past that are coming into the marketplace. The first one that I think came in the U.S. was Moxie, which was a brand from Europe that I think is owned by Marriott. And now I saw an item in the New York Times about how many hotels are popping up around the United States with an emphasis on more affordable rooms. And hotel rooms used to be, at one time, it was standard 320 square feet was a hotel room. Now a lot of these rooms from the new cheaper hotels are as little as 120 square feet. Think about that. That's a 10 by 12, which is a relatively small bedroom. And in there, you got to get the bathroom and the whole shebang. And I have stayed at a hotel in New York that is one that has micro rooms. And after the second time I stayed there, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Because... I remember to get around the bed, I had to turn sideways. I don't know how housekeeping ever makes a, a bed in it. So I just want you to know it's out there. It is a trend in the business. When you see a new hotel online that's screaming ultra-low rates, go a little further and see what it actually is and see if you'd be happy with a micro-hotel room. For me... No moss, not my thing. Susan's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Susan. Hi, Clark. It's wonderful to speak to you. Well, great to have you here. And you have a question that is a dilemma that people pose to me from time to time. And I'm going to let you tell your story. But basically, the idea is, when do you use your savings to extinguish debt? When do you keep both debt and savings? Right. So my boyfriend and I bought a house together last year. And because of some job instability on his part, we um, took out a 30-year mortgage with the intention of uh, paying it off as quickly as possible and amortizing it over 12 years, hopefully down to 10. (laughs) Okay. um, But because of his job instability, we wanted to make sure we had that cushion in there in case we needed to uh, lower those extra payments. So now, because I sold my house, I have some extra cash available that we are thinking of putting down on as a lump sum on the mortgage to try to get rid of that sooner. We have no other debts. We fully fund 401k, Roth IRA, and a traditional IRA as well. So we were just wondering if that was a good idea. Well, okay. So you make me nervous just in case of an emergency. Right, right. So you make me nervous only on one basis, and that is that this is unbalanced in the relationship because these are the proceeds from a house that you had, and you'd be taking that cash and putting it into a house that you two have together and it's a boyfriend-girlfriend thing and not husband and wife. So I, what makes me nervous is you put it into a joint asset 
that's money that right now is completely yours. Correct. So that so if you ask me, um, you can tell I'm getting nervous here saying this <laughs> to you because I would I would tell you that that makes me nervous for you. If you look at the two of you as just a unit, you're going to stay a unit. That's your whole deal, and you are going to sacrifice what you had from the sale of the proceeds of your prior home so that your life together is better financially. Uh, what What happens if the relationship doesn't work out like you expect and hope, and you put all this money in to something, then he's going to expect half the equity at that point. Well, except that there would be a record that I had put in the money. So if it ever did happen that legally we would have that issue handled. I, I don't think but, that does handle it. I think I think it would have to be some kind of note that you would do with each other. Because okay. I, I, I hate this. I hate being negative like this, but I just, <laughs> you asked me the question and I need to protect you. So if you had said, Hey, we had this house together before, we sold it, we had the cash from it, and now we're trying to figure out if we should put it towards the the mortgage we have. I would be jumping right into, well, you got this, you got that, and the other. But in this case, you made me um, worry a lot about you because it's your money you'd be putting in here. So I would want you to have a written agreement with each other that that money is your money. Okay. And that when you go to sell it, that that would be your money. Now let's talk about whether you should uh, go on this trend line to pay off this debt so quickly. What other stories are there in terms of debt in both of your lives? Nothing. We have have three vehicles between us. They're all paid off. Wonderful. Uh, I own a small business with no debt on that. Great. And... We pay our credit cards off every month. Okay, I love all that. So the the rainy day you got in case the unstable job becomes unstable again for him. So what interest rate is this 30-year mortgage carrying? Uh, four and an eight. 4.125. Yeah. 4.125. So that's yeah. kind of on the cusp of whether you'd want to pay any extra towards it. So we have been paying. We do put in an extra thousand dollars a month already. Sure. Keep doing that. Keep let's keep this simple. Keep okay. your cash, put more money aside for retirement. You own your own business. Are you fully refunding retirement accounts like you can through your own business? Uh, I do I only do a traditional IRA and then Oh, then I want law. you to I, that's what I'd like you to do. That's where the emphasis should be is you really working on beefing up your own retirement funds and don't co-mingle the money this way and then you don't even have to deal with the uncomfortable topic I'm bringing up because at 4.125 you're already together putting an extra thousand a month. Let's keep it at that and leave it at that. Dylan's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Dylan. Hello. How's it going? It's going pretty good. How about yourself? Great, thank you. You want to talk about your mom? 
Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, my grandfather just passed a few weeks ago. Well, I'm sorry yeah. about your and your mom's loss. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, and so he had about a hundred thousand left over. Um, and my mom's idea for that was to just put it into like a vacation fund uh, for our whole family to use for the next, you know, 10, 20 years. Um, and I was just wondering where she should put it or what you recommend doing with that money. So the only purpose is granddad would have wanted all of you to do things together, go have fun together, go on vacations, and your mom wants to do that as best she can, would call for a dual strategy. And what I would like for her to look at is going into a, uh, a fund that would both hopefully outgrow inflation and would preserve the money as best as possible, even as the market goes up and down. Yep. So when you're looking at money that you want to stretch over 10 to 20 years, you don't want to just put it straight into savings because you're not going to earn anything on it. Mm-hmm. So what I think I would do is take what would cover the vacations for the next few years mm-hmm. and put it into savings. Let's say five years worth of vacations goes into savings and the rest of it I would put in a balanced mutual fund Okay. where it's in a mix of stocks and bonds. Are you familiar with the term balanced fund? I am not. Usually what it is is it's 60% stocks, 40% bonds, and it's a lower risk kind of thing than going into something that's all stocks. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to throw out another term for you. I'd like it to be in a balanced index fund. Okay. And if is you there go... that you recommend? Uh, yeah, I'd like for you to look at one with one of the low-cost companies... Vanguard, Fidelity would be the two I would go to first, or, or Schwab. Okay. And balanced index fund, again, for the money that would go past five years from now. Awesome. And the money up to five years, just in an online savings account that right now you can earn a little more than 2%. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, Clark, for all, all right. that you do. I listen to you every day. Well, thank you, Appreciate and again, it. I'm sorry about the loss of your granddad. Oh, Thank you. Have a good one. You too. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Michelle's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Michelle. Hi there, Clark. Thanks so much for taking my call. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Michelle, you have a question for me that has come up twice in the last few months. 
and it's obviously something that's being pitched right now fairly heavily. Tell me. I was just wondering if you have an opinion about whole home surge protection. Okay, so I had the funniest thing recently. I asked last time that this question came up, I later was talking to a guy who's an electrical engineer, and I asked him about that, and I said, hey, is this something you think people should do? And he said, no, I haven't done it in my own home, and I don't recommend that people spend money on it. I said, but what about the issue if, if you know, you have all these expensive electronics in homes now? And he said, well, I just have, so this is the electrical engineer telling me this, he said, I have the um, surge protectors, the really robust ones, for each important piece of electronics in my home. So instead of doing a whole house, he's done the individual ones. And oh. you know, one electrical engineer is not, you know, end all be all, the only answer you should do. But it's really interesting that his reaction was so strong against the idea of doing whole house. I, I have no specific reason I'd say absolutely do whole house, and it's a lot cheaper for you to think of it like zoning, because how many expensive electronics do you actually have in your house? I'd say just about average. I was mostly concerned about, like, the bigger appliances. That's what I'd heard about, you know, your oven, your washer and dryer, that kind of thing. I guess they could blow in a big surge in a house, but that's not something that I've ever had somebody bring to the table. Okay, well, that's helpful to know. So uh, I can't tell you, because, you know, this is, we're stepping a little bit out of my area, well, actually a lot out of my core (laughs) area of expertise, which is why when this came up before, I went to consult someone about it, and I Are you being pitched by your power provider or by an electrical contractor? No, no one's really pitching. I've just read about it, and so I thought I'd, you know, try to find out whether this is worth worth the investment or it's not something I should worry about. But I actually hadn't heard um, anyone saying about kind of protecting things individually, so that's a different approach. And how much is it to have the whole house? You know, I haven't gotten a quote, but my sense is when I've looked it up, somewhere between around maybe two hundred and fifty and four hundred and fifty dollars if you have an electrician do it. Yeah, but then you've got the electrician's labor too. Well, I think that would include. I think that would be the whole. I think that would that be the whole thing. That is much lower than the last caller oh, came okay. to me with the price. So that's. I may be wrong. Yeah. I may be wrong. Then they probably got a quote. Yeah, so I that's why I would check to see what it would cost to just do. I think it would be so much cheaper to just do the surge protectors protecting your key electronics. At least that's what I've done in my own house. You're listening to the Clark Howard Show. Thanks so much for listening today. You know, there's a giant team behind bringing you everything we do at Team Clark, our podcast and radio show. Are produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. My TV producer is Leah Dunn. Clark.com is made possible thanks to Krista DBI's, James DeGal, John Crest, Theo Timu, 
Michael Timmerman, Craig Johnson, Beth Marcinko, Clara Bosnetto, John Jones, and Grace Del Rio. ClarkDeals.com, where you can find the best deals from around the web, is produced by Karis Brown, Laura Sayers, Sarah Jordan. You can sign up for our newsletters at Clark.com. Thanks to Sally McDonald. And our social media gurus are Chelsea Glass and Nicole Carroll. Our Off-Air Advice Center is run by Lori Silverman, Sarah Mobley, and Sue Gatliff. And their team's available to serve you over 40 hours each week at 404-892-8227. And this is a free service of Team Clark. Thanks for listening. Till next time.